with. Um, go with me to the book of Exodus. Last week I got up intending to share a message and um, ended up just speaking about something that God had said, just a, a phrase, a word that he dropped in my heart that, from my, um, that I had shared with his, his free from, when God says he frees you from your past and he frees you from your future. And, I, and this is the revelation of God as I meditated on that, how God who was and is and is to come is able to set us free, fully free from the things in our past, but also free us in the future. And what, when I began to meditate on that and understand that sometimes the future can be a pressure. It can, you know, the, 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 the future can, um, can be an enemy almost. It's chasing you. Um, think, think of the, the pressure of a deadline. How sometimes that you know that clock, the deadline, the deadline, it's ticking, it's ticking, it's ticking, and it's like the future is standing before you, and it's mocking you, and it's declaring things, and um, you know, and it can be a fixed deadline um, in the sense of you know you've, you've all seen those movies where there's a someone sets a bomb going, and there's a the, the time is ticking down, and but thankfully, thankfully. With one second to go, they click the right wire, and you know, why don't they do it a, a, you know, an hour ahead? You know, that much much more relaxing for everyone else to just clip that wire. But of course, if they don't clip it with one second to go, there's no no movie effectively. <laughs> Wrong wire, bang, gone. Um, but you know, you've sort of seen that that time frame, and, and you can you know there can be a real deadline. You know, um, if I don't have something by this particular time, if I don't have and that deadline can every day come towards you. But sometimes it doesn't even have to be a fixed date or you know, an actual date or a time. Um, you know, some people, you know, the pressure, I'm getting older. The pressure, you know, one day is turning into a week, which has turned into a month, which has turned into a year. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing what, I'm not doing what I was in my heart. You know, and you're not getting any younger. And, um, anyone ever use that phrase, you're not getting any younger, and it's not a compliment. And it's a pressure statement, isn't it? You're not getting any younger is a pressure to get up and do something now because the, the concept is, well, you're not, you, know, you need to do it now because it's not happening. And so the future can actually be a pressure. It can be putting pressure on us. It can be putting pressure on us and putting pressure on us. And so the concept that God says, he frees me from what's in the future and the future no longer can be that pressure because I'm trusting God. And it's not a case of, well, I just close my eyes and refuse to worry because I am called not to worry about the future. But it's not because I don't worry about the future. It's because I intertwine myself through faith with God who was and is and is to come. God takes care of the future. And I trust in him. And he's there. He's sorting it. He's working it. He's moving it. And so as I've been meditating on that, I think that's, that's such a powerful truth. And, um, and I think... You know the enemy and the you know the world system offers an alternative which isn't as um, as reliable and it's but it's not real. Um, in fact, did I say turn to Exodus? Yeah, well you can keep your finger in Exodus and um, just Matthew chapter um, six, um, verse twenty-four. No one can serve two masters. All right, people try, but you can't really. That's what God's saying. You, you might try, but you can't. You can't do it. It won't work. 
You cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or hold to one and despise the other. They, they will cause a division and you will not be able to successfully do it. People who think that they can have God and something else think that they can make it work. You cannot. Right? You cannot. You, you think you can. You believe you're going to break the system. You're going to be the first one that can make this work. You cannot. Jesus said you cannot. It will, if you try and mix God with compromise and with something else, it will undermine and it will work against your trust in God. You cannot do it. And it says, so you cannot serve two masters. You'll hate the one, love the other, and you'll hold one, despise the other. And then he says, I'm particularly talking about these two masters. You cannot serve God, which you know is one master, and at the same time serve mammon. Mammon. Um, I, just, I don't know whether you've that's the translation in your in your Bible um, that says mammon. Sometimes it's translated as riches, but it's it's really the personification of the spirit of riches. All right, it's not just money; it's that what money can offer. It's as if money was a actual being. Money was something that you could communicate with. It's the spirit of it. It's the it's an idea. It's an idol, effectively, but it's a false god. It's the world system. It's a whole thing. It's not just having money. You know, you know, it doesn't say you can. Does not say, as some people have, um, you know, got wrong. They've said you cannot serve God and have money. Okay, that's not what it's saying here. It's not saying you can, you can't have money and serve God. And so, some portions of the body of Christ, especially many years ago, um, they would take vows of poverty. So that there was no chance I'd have anything to do with riches. And um, how many know you can actually be serving the God of riches and not have any riches? It's, it's not you can have money and not have money. That's not the issue. It's the it's the attitude towards riches. It's what the power that you think they have. And in fact, by sometimes pushing the money aside, it's like because I'm scared of you and I don't want to have it. And they're, they're trying to serve God. I understand, but it, it's uh, you know they take you know they particularly. Um, you know, I'm thinking of St. Francis of Assisi who took you know, vows of poverty and would, you know, and um, when his father reportedly tried to sort of control him through, you know, being a wealthy merchant and saying, you know, follow up, follow in the ways of, of the family. Um, and he was in a public place, I think a courthouse or something. He took all his clothes off and walked out naked. And he basically said, I, I renounce everything to do with my family and everything they can provide for me, and I'm just going to trust God, naked. And um, no, <laughs> as I heard from the front row, we won't do that. We are not doing. I am not saying. Well, guess what, people? If you're going to serve God, you've got to be naked. And uh, but he had that mindset. He said it's one or the other. But what God was talking about here, what Jesus was saying, is it's the spirit of mammon. And what is the spirit of mammon? And you can look in the very next verse. Um, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Don't be worried about the future. Don't be worried about what you're going to have and your provision. And I see mammon, the spirit of mammon, is where we say, God, I can, I can get enough that I can control the future. I can control the future if I have enough. And because we do know that, people with money can influence things. 
You know, they, they can, um, they can uh, influence governments, they can influence nations. You know, enough money can be influencing. You know? And um, so people think, if I have enough money, I can take charge of my future. I can declare this is what's going to happen and this is what I'm going to do because I have money. You know, someone who has money says, what am I going to do in the next 10 years? Well, so if I've got $10 billion, I can do whatever I want. All right? If someone had $10 billion, could they say to you, I can do whatever I want? And that's the, you know, the, the concept is money will give me power to control the future. Well, the reality is money can't actually fully control the future. It'll give you some power and you can you know, make choices as long as you're alive. You know, the, you know, the richest people in the world have died young. You know, there was a, a Greek billionaire, I think, and he, he paid a lot of money to try and get the best medicines. And In the end, he found out his money could not buy him one more day on earth. It's, um, it, it's, it's got its limitations. It cannot buy you peace. It cannot buy you love. It can buy you people that will say they love you, by people who you know get around you and say we're we're best friends, but you you and them probably know deep deep down that money. You know, I, I think it would be a terrible situation to only have people around you that you knew were there because of money. It would be an awful, you know, you know, families and and anyone who's there only because of the money. But you cannot pay someone enough to actually genuinely love you. Love must be freely given, otherwise it's not truly love. And so you can't buy love, you can't buy inner peace, because that's a God thing. Only God can truly provide that. You can't buy your salvation, you can't buy your deliverance. Um, I remember that it's famously said, I'm not sure how much it's you know, exact, or just sort of a bit of a myth that developed, but one of the, um, I think it was one of the early reformers, I don't know whether it was Martin Luther himself, but certainly one of the early reformers that was dragged before the courts of the Pope, and the Pope said to him, um, no longer can, does the church need to say, like Peter did, silver and gold have we none. Because the church was affluent and wealthy. But I think the reformer said, but neither can they say, rise up and walk. They'd lost, they might have got wealth, but they'd lost the power of God. They no longer had a connection with God. They no longer had the ability to, to minister and flow. So I thought that's a powerful statement. You, you, know, you, you know, you can get money, and that doesn't mean the early church had no money. It just means Peter didn't have money on him to give at that moment. He, was, he said, silver and gold over none. It was like, I'm not giving you any money at this time. They actually had money because they were doing a feeding program and things like that. They, they were, they were, it was um, money around, but Peter was just saying, when he says, I'm, he's looking for money, and he said, I'm not giving you money, stop looking for that. What I'm going to give you is such as I have, I'm going to give you something of the power of God. You can't buy that. You can't go, you know, imagine trying to bribe God. That's like, oh, oh, you'll give me your car and your watch. It's tempting. How much, how much cash will you give me? Ooh, a thousand dollars. You know, remember, um, remember when the disciples went up and they were ministering to people and they receiving the Holy Spirit and something supernatural was happening. 
and there was a man from the region that had, was well known and a big, big name and he's looking at them and they're doing this ministry, laying hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit and he said, how can I buy this power? How can I buy this power? I'd like, I, I can make you wealthy if you can give me this ability because, you know, I would like to do that. And do you remember what Peter said to him? Your money perish with you. Whereas I think the Living Bible says, you and your money can go to hell. Sort of. That's a pretty good way of saying it, isn't it? You and your money can go to hell. You know, thy money perish with thee sounds so much nicer. <laughs> you know, the, the, King, the King James has a way of making things sound more pleasant. You know, you know when, when they said, bring out um, Lazarus, and he said, oh, the Lord has been in the church. Behold, he stinketh. You know, even, even the King James, it just makes it sound nicer somehow. <laughs> Oh, he stinketh. No, no, no. Well, you and your money can go to hell is when you try and buy the things of God. So what I'm saying is that mammon offers an alternative, but it is not an exact... It actually doesn't, can't deliver fully. And it certainly can't deliver in the things that matter most. It can't do this. And what God is saying is, look to me, because it's all about what happens in the future and the anxiety, it's, you know, what's it to do? And don't look to mammon. Mammon will never, ever provide. It's tempting and you can't sort of say, well, I'll do a bit of both. I'll have some money and I will have God. Now, I'm not saying you, here, I will not saying I have some money and I have God. You can have God and money. I'm talking about I'll have some mammon. I'll have some trust in riches. I'll be looking to the riches. I'll have some, I'll play that system and I'll play... The church system. And God says that does not work. What you need to do is, according to Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other things get added to you. It all comes. So the key is we seek God and his. So why is it so? Why is God the one we seek? Because his very nature is one who was and is and is to come. If you want to connect and be free from the future and the pressure of the future and the, the, the stress that the future is trying to put on you and the, the claims of the future says, oh, if you do this, then you'll be fine, if, you know, or if you need to do this, or the challenges, whatever the future is trying to shout at you, you can look at it and say, actually, I'm connected with him. And he was and is, and he is in the future. There's nothing else that can actually deal with the future. In fact, that's, now you can go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Because we saw it from Revelation last week where God, Jesus and, and God, the revelation that came to John. And the, and the revelation was the God who was and is and is to come and around about the throne room, the angels are declaring, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Well, in Exodus chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and Moses was curious because he saw the bush on fire, which it just wasn't burning up. So he comes and God actually reveals himself and says, I've heard that my people... In Egypt, I've seen their suffering and I've heard their cries for help. 
I'm going to come and I'm going to deliver them and I'm going to use you to do it. I'm going to send you to do that. And he's, Moses is like, uh, how's this going to work? And God says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, he said, God said, certainly I will be with you. I'm going to be with you, Moses, to do this. And then Moses asked this curious question, verse 13. Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of, our, of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? We're like, you know, who, can I get more particular than God? Who, who, who are you actually saying you are? And then I may reveal himself. And verse 14 gives this amazing revelation. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And, um, and interestingly, he said, God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. Well, guess what? That includes you and me. This is for us too. This is not just for that time. It's for us now. And it brings out, let me first of all just point out something. You might say, well, um, how many remember seeing the name of God in the Bible? You know, um, there's titles and then there's names. Okay, can someone give me one of my titles? What's one of the things that I am? Pastor. I'm pastor. That's a title. It's a, it's a reference to a role that I play, a, a position I have. What's another title I would have? Dad, father. That's a title. Um, husband. Grandpa, sorry. Mister. Rock star. You know, just all those. King of the jokes. Oh, yes. I added a little bit there, a little, maybe a little bit of embellishing. You know, they're, they're titles. But what's my name? Peter. Okay, all of them are titles, but one is a personal reference to me and who I am. It's different, isn't it? The name, your name and your titles are different. In the Bible, and predominantly through the Old Testament, and then, okay, who, what's, let's think of Jesus. What's some titles for Jesus? Messiah. Saviour. Redeemer, yeah, Lion of the tribe of Judah, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace. I'm giving, you know, there, there's lots, isn't there? But what's his name? Jesus. Or, if you're doing it more accurately to the Hebrew, anyone know what his name is? Yeshua, or even, as we say it today, Joshua. Jesus, you know, different, different ways of saying the name. But it's basically connected with the Hebrew name, Yeshua. Or, as we call that name now today, Joshua. So anyone you know that is called Joshua literally has the same name as Jesus. It's just a different deriv derivation. It's not that special. You know, we don't, in English, we don't have people called Jesus because it's like, well, that's weird. Imagine calling someone Jesus, that's weird. But we don't mind people called Joshua. That's not weird. But it's actually exactly the same thing. And in some other countries, you know, like I think of, you know, South American countries, they have people and they're called Jesus. You know, one, one time there was an Olympics and, you know, Jesus won the high jump and, and, and Moses won the hurdles. You know, it was just like, just, just, 
What a biblical, you know, but Jesus, Jesus. You know, it's not, not unusual to have the name Jesus. But we think, oh, that's really weird, but then we have Joshua. And we don't think that's weird at all, but it's exactly the same. All right, the reason I say that, okay, so with Jesus, we know his titles, but we also know his name. In the Old Testament, most people know the titles of God, but for some reason, can you think of the name? Now, he said here, this is my name. And you think, well, his name's not used very often. And what are the titles that are used of God in the Old Testament? One is an easy one. It's got three letters, begins with G and ends in D. God. Some people are like, oh, yeah, that's, I would have got there eventually. God. Um, God is a title. Um, and one thing, one thing about titles is that they apply to more than one person. All right, teacher. Jesus was called rabbi, but he was not the only rabbi. All right, you call me pastor. I'm not the only pastor. You know, now you say, oh, but your name, Peter. But my name, Peter, that's very personal. Other people can have a name, but you know, do you understand? A name is very personal. A title is just a description that multiple people can have. So God in the Bible is um, the actual Hebrew word is Elohim. All right? The actual, actual Hebrew word for God is El, E-L. And um, Elohim is the plural version of El. And so it's sort of an unusual sort of thing. And um, it's like God who is known in the singular as, you know, we have one God, the one true God, but they would use Elohim, which is a plural word for it. And some people say, well, that's the Trinity, into, you know, and that's that sort of truth. You know, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when the, when the Jews were saying, that, they weren't saying there's more than one of you, but we're only seeing one, they, they're using a, a, a method of, of like, he's bigger than just God. He's, he's God. So we give him the plural word, even though we're talking about a singular being, to make it bigger. But uh, it's, not, it's not unique to God. You know, and the word Elohim is used of, you know, sometimes it will translate gods, you know, the gods of the, 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 um, the Palestinians, you know, would be Elohim. So it's a, the word Elohim is, um, is a title, but it applies to God as we know him. And what's another, anyone know any other title? So God. What else do we know of God in the Old Testament? The Almighty, sorry? Almighty, I'll give you, you know, Almighty God, um, Lord, Jehovah, what's that one? Yeah, sort of, that's, that's most high. So I'll come back to Jehovah in a second, but yeah, because Lord God Almighty, you know, the um, El Shaddai, it's a name, but it's a, it's, a, it's a descriptive name, it's a title rather than a name. Um, so all these names connect. And you think, well, in the New Testament, we have a lot of times Jesus, actually, we have the name Jesus. But how come we don't have that in the Old Testament? And how can we, because God actually had a name in the Old Testament. You know, there are all these titles, but who's the only one with this name? You know, Baal, which means Lord. Um, you know, we think, well, that, that was used of a, um, you know, a, an idol or a, a false god. But God also used it for himself, Baal Perizim, the Lord of the Breakthrough. It became his title. You know, so he used that you know, as the Lord of Breaking Through. Um, 
So they were sort of names, but they could be described. But his personal name, and we have it here in Exodus, I am that I am. And he said, when you come back, I want you to use this name. This is actually my name, my personal name. And it's made up of four Hebrew letters, which in English is Y-H-W-H, right? The um, Hebrew letters did not have vowels. You just had to know how to pronounce things. And then later they added little things to give indication about vowels. It's it's common for older languages to do things like that. And um, so the best that they understand how to pronounce that is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And um, it's based on a, a, a Hebrew word, which is very similar, which means to be, which is the, that's his name, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, the Jewish people got it in their mind. I don't think this was God, but they got it in their mind. How many times sometimes you have a good idea and God's like, what? But they did it anyway. They said, we would hate to ever use the name Yahweh in a way that wasn't full of reverence and was not used appropriately or was not used in the right respect. That's my understanding. And so they said, we will not actually, whenever we see his name, we won't say his name as a mark of respect. So that would be like every time you see me, you know my name is Peter, but rather than use my name, which is very personal and it's very holy, not really, but in God it is. My kids are But you say, rather than use your personal name, we will use a title in place of that. All right? And, um, you know, so teacher maybe. So every time you, you know, and every time you saw my name written, you would just replace it with the word teacher. And so your name is teacher. They just actually do that. And um, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example from the book of Isaiah. You can go there. Um, Um, 42 verse 8, Isaiah 42 verse 8. All right, and I'll read it to you as it's in my English Bible, New American, Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, that is my name. Now, if you've, I don't know whether we've got it up here. Okay, you can see that we've actually, see the word Lord, it's written in uppercase letters. A little bit different. Why have they done that? Well, what happens is in the Hebrew, that is Y-H-W-H. That's not the word for Lord at all. It's the word Yahweh. It's his personal name. But they had the habit of that whenever his name was shown, they would actually say Adonai, which means Lord. It's just the word that means Lord, Master, Adonai. It's, not, it's a title. It's a description. It's not a name. He said, so whenever they would see the name Yahweh, they would use the word Adonai, which is Lord. And then other translations, starting from the Greek, first Greek translation of the Bible, they picked up on that habit. 
In fact, what they did was to help the, the Hebrew people remember to do that. This is where it's going to come back to Jehovah that Kirsty mentioned earlier. They took the vowels from Adonai and put them in amongst the consonants of Yahweh. So they took the Adonai vowels and popped them in as a reminder that whenever you saw it, not to say Yahweh, but to say Adonai. And if you put the vowels of Adonai in Yahweh, you get Yehoah or Jehovah. So people later who didn't realize that's what was being done thought, oh, his name must be Jehovah. Put the mix, the, mix two words together to get a personal name. So it's, his name is not pronounced Jehovah. That was two vowels from one word mixed in. Most likely the name is Yahweh. So when it says in Isaiah 42, I am Yahweh, that is my name. Every time you see the word Lord, so if you just skip down to um, verse 10, is it, you know, you'll find it, sing to the Lord a new song. It's uppercase, so it's actually sing to Yahweh. Every time. And so some Bible translations have put that in uppercase letters, and it happens thousands and thousands of times through the Old Testament. So Yahweh, his name is throughout the Old Testament, but it wasn't ever translated as Yahweh. It was often used Adonai to follow that tradition because that's what other Bibles did and things like that. So that's why his name isn't seen in the Old Testament, even though it was there all the time. Um, and then you had something where you could say Yah. Y-A-H, which is sort of a shortened version of his name, like Pete, Peter. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's just, that's, I'm guessing. Yeah, Yah. Um, now, have you ever said praise to Yah? No, no one's here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Guess what you're singing? Guess what hallelujah? Hallel means to praise. Hallelujah is saying, I praise Yah, I praise. So you say it all the time. You didn't even know, did you? It's there it is. And um, it was mixed into a lot of names. So um, how many know that the Bible character of Joshua, um, that was not his original name. His original name was Hoshia. And then it was... Moses said, I'm going to change your name from Hoshia to Yeshua. Do you know why? Because Hoshia means salvation, the bringer of salvation, bringing salvation. Hoshia, salvation. Hoshia is the salvation. He put Yah, Yahshua. So Yeshua, he put the Yah in front of Shua to say, Jehovah, Yahweh, is salvation. Yahweh is salvation was the name that he gave. Because it's not just about salvation. It's Yahweh is salvation. Guess what name they gave to Jesus? Yahweh bringing salvation. Yeshua. That's his name. Yahweh saves. That's sort of, you know, because otherwise I thought it was interesting. You shall call him. What's the scripture that says you call him? Then they said, no, they named him Jesus. So it was actually, you know. They call him, um, oh, I thought someone would call it out to me, make it good. Uh, you know, think of it. 
later. Um, anyway, but they called him Yeshua, Yahweh saves. So I thought that was really interesting that the name of God, the personal name of God, was interwoven into the name of Jesus. All right? Back to Exodus. So this personal name, this name Yahweh, Exodus 3, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of I am has sent me to you. Now, here's something else that um, you, you won't just get. Some translations will do this. This is taking us back to what I'm thinking here. What happens is that um, some translations and some you know, scholars actually say, um, I, it's, um, I am should actually be translated, I will be. I will be with you. And the reason is that the, the, the verb and the tenses of it was, is like future, even though it's present. And there's a bit of confusion sometimes in Hebrew words where they put future tense to a word that is a current present tense. And it does the head in of some people doing Bible translation who don't know what to do with that because it doesn't seem to make sense. Okay, I'll give you an example from um, Joshua when um, he was going into, they were facing Jericho and he's met um, in chapter 6, verse 2. So, and it says, and the Lord or and Yahweh said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. This is Joshua 6.2. I have given Jericho into your hand, but it hasn't happened yet. He's speaking, he's using past tense for something that will happen in future. And so the translators think, ah, oh, that doesn't make sense in English. So some of the modern translations translate that, I will give Jericho into your hands. So they, they, because it's like, that doesn't make sense in English. It doesn't make sense to speak of the future and then use past tense. That doesn't work. But God says, oh, yes, it does. He said, I speak of things in the future, so certainly I use past tense. <laughs> he said, I am so confident in what I am saying, I'll actually use past tense. No one else can do that. I can't talk about the future in the past because I've got to wait for it to happen to, for it to become the past. God's the only one that can be ahead of something that's in the future. <laughs> and you see that again, um, uh, let's say Genesis. I'll give you another example of this. New English translation, I think, is, you know, that, that's a great translation, but they've put it all in future tense because they didn't know what to do with it. Um, Genesis 17 um, uh, verse 5, okay, okay yeah, New American, um, yeah, can we go to Genesis 17.5? never sure what, what, so I'm not sure what the translations do with this. Okay, beautiful, does exactly what, I'd exp you know, what people trying to work this thing out. No longer will your name be Abraham, Instead, your name will be Abraham because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Does your translation say made you? Some translation said it's actually past tense. And I know it's confirmed because in the book of Romans, when it refers to this verse, 
in Romans 4, um, it's, you know, it, it, he gave this promise and it says, you know, um, verse 17 of Romans 4, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. So like Paul says, it was meant to be past tense, but some of the translators get confused because it says, how can you talk about something that's going to happen in the future, but then talk about it as if it's already happened? So they fix it up. Have you ever fixed something up for God? I remember why I fixed up a scripture once. Don't do it. God, do, you know, I, I, the scripture I fixed up was um, in Joshua. It says, um, this, this, this word of the, this, I'll quote it properly because I don't want to misquote it. I've already done that once. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. What could go wrong with that? Well, I knew that to meditate, you don't, you don't put it on your mouth, you put it in your mind. So I used to say, this book of the law I'll think about day and night. I'll think about the law day and night. Because the Lord says, no, you meditate. I said, crazy people go around talking to themselves. You know, weirdos. You ever walked past someone who's by himself without a phone? It's a little bit easier now. If you want to pray, have you ever done this? If you want to pray in a public place, hold your phone to your ear. I've had good prayer times walking through a shopping centre with a phone up my ear because no one thinks you're crazy anymore. <laughs> Just praising and talking to the Lord and saying, hallelujah, I can have prayer. You can, you know. Okay, but if, if you see someone without a phone and they're not praying, but they're talking to themselves, you know, it's disconcerting, isn't it? It's like, ooh. You know, it, it makes you a little bit uneasy if they're having a little conversation. And, and I've, I've seen people like this and it's, it's strange. So I said, Lord, I do not want to be one of them. So when you said, this word shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, what I'll do is I'll just fix it for you to the modern acceptable English version, which is, this word shall not go away from my thinking. And I distinctly heard the Lord say, I said what I said, and I don't need you to fix it, you know, effectively. I was like, <laughs> I don't need help making my word nice. And that's when I look back and realize, oh, there's actually a real power in speaking the word of God. And if I just try and do it in my thinking, I lose all the power of what God is saying. So when we try and fix some things, we get it wrong and unintended consequences, we make it less powerful or not work. So when we try and fix God speaking about a future event, but using past tense language, we think we're doing him a favor but I think God's like, I don't need any help with my grammar. If I use past tense for a future event, I'm not confused. I'm speaking like I see it. Because in Romans 4, remember we just quoted from there, this is when Paul quotes in this, Romans 4, speaking about this very thing, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. Have I made you? This is Abraham and Sarah who had no children and were barren. But he speaks and he changes his name from Abram, which means um, exalted father, to Abraham. Now, some people actually say there was a mixture of the Yahweh, the sound, the sound was put into Abram. 
So God actually put his name into the Abraham. Yeah. Certainly the sound went in. So mixture there. I don't have any problems with it. Um, but he mixed it, he changed it from exalted father to father of a multitude. He made it very big. Even though he had no children, he called him the father of a multitude. He said, I have made you. And then verse, and it says, um, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, calls things that are not yet present as if they are present. When I say if, that's sort of using my understanding of there's a future. But when God says it's present, it's because he sees it, because he's in the future with it. He's in the future with it. He can see it and he declares it. So he uses past tense to speak of the things. So back to Ezekiel, sorry, Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 3. We've been bouncing around, haven't we, today? Exodus 3. The I am has sent me to you is future tense. So some say it should be translated, I will be. But it's very much meant to be talking about now, but he's using future tense. Let me just take from um, the New England translation, translation notes. Um, it says, they argue that I am would be of... Um, they, they say saying, I will be who I will be, because the verb has an active quality about it. Skip down. The idea of the verb would certainly indicate that God is not bound by time. And while he is present, I am, he will always be present even in the future. And so I am would embrace that as well. So what they're saying is the concept of I am is not I am now. He just says I am. In, I am not just present in this time. I am in, all, I'm, I'm, I'm in the future. I am. It's not, he's not, the, the concept is not I, I exist, but it's I exist outside of being present and future. I am. I am. And so what I saw was that when God talks about he's freed me from the future, it's the pressure. It's the pressure that I am offered an alternative. Mammon comes to me and says, I can take the pressure off. You've got to watch for this. You've got to watch that you do not receive a natural, carnal way of dealing with the future and saying, I will take charge. I will do this. I will, you know, this went wrong in the garden when they said, we will declare what is good. Let me just... Um, no, I was going to give you another scripture. I'm not. Maybe another time. Um, so I want you to stop and think. How do I partner with God? How do I connect with God in this? Because he just doesn't want to become the God who is and was and is to come. He told Abraham to partner with him in this and to call himself a future name in the present. He told him to take that which he had not seen yet, but out of total confidence that God had it, he said, you speak now in that light. I love how Pre stopped us and got, brought that verse up. And then, you know, we went through and you know, Christine with the offering. Everybody was talking about the same thing. 
But remember she said, I prophesy to, I prophesy to the future. That means I speak of tomorrow based on the fact that he is there and what he has said about tomorrow, about what he has declared, and I speak it today. The way I connect with God is by getting into agreement with him and speaking like he speaks. He calls those things that be not as though they are. And all I'm doing is I'm recognizing the God who was and is and is to come has said something. And if he has said something, then that is what is. And I get into agreement with him and I begin to speak those things and I begin to call those things. You know, one of the dangers, some people say, no, I, I can only call things, you know, I've got, I've got to call it as it is. That may, that's, that's like, a, I'm, I'm, I've got to speak it like it really is. I've got to, I'm sorry, I've just got to call it like it is. Which sounds very bold and you're all living in la-la land, but I've got to call it as it is. You're all, you're all, you're all confused, but I'm going to call it as it is. You're all in some dream state, but I'm going to call it as it is. And God says, what, you, you, you don't like the way I talk about things? He said, the way I talk about things is I call what I say as is. I don't look at what is, but I call what he says as is. That's okay. I've got to call it like it is. It's fine if you're just taking what he said, not looking at what's in front of you and just saying that's the highest level of authority and, and, and truth. No, I take what God said. And that's what is. Hallelujah. God who was and is and is to come. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand? Hallelujah. Don't forget, you, 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 you've got to partner, you've got to connect. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Make that your pursuit. And then you can say, you can declare, God's got it. God's got it. Hallelujah. And I can give you praise now. And I can rejoice now. I can begin to speak. Hallelujah. I love it. I think... You know, Pastor George Pearson's talks about the concept of me and my words are going to meet in the future. God gives, God tells me what to say now, and I, I'm going to meet those words. I'm going to meet my words. But how how does that work? Because God, who was and is and is to come, it's because of Him. It's because of Him. I. It's because I'm just getting in agreement with Him. I'm getting in agreement with Him. Hallelujah. Just lift up your... Why don't you just begin to praise God? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah.